0: Are we recording? Are we recording? (coughs) Hey! Hey, stop it! Butterscotch shenanigans! Hey, everybody! Welcome to episode seventy-six of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast. Butterscotch shenanigans. I'm Seth and I'm the games programmer. I'm Adam. I'm the internet netter, net internet inter. I'm Samuel Make art and also a things thing sometimes when and I feel like it. And today is December 6th, 2016. Warning. But anything could happen on this show, there oh will gosh. be profanity um, and just, just disgusting, horrible language. Yeah. Just so, filthy. Uh yeah. if you're a child, or if you just are upset by those kinds of profanities, then mm-hmm. you should you should escape now. Or maybe you should stick around and open and your mind expand your horizons. Bit, yeah. You but know? not if you're a child. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe you should, reasons. but you should ask your parents first. Yeah. Mm. PG, PG. Let your parents PG? guide you into this cursing storm yeah. that we're about to lay and down. And if they say that you're not allowed to, just know that they're wrong and someday in the future you can make your own decisions. <laughs> That's right. Like you could eat, you can eat licorice for breakfast. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Although, I don't know That's why. something you can't do as a child and then as an adult you don't. Necessarily. Licorice is only barely candy. That's true. You know? It's only it's a little like, sweet. It's like sugar rubber. Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it is mostly rubber. I think so. So it probably doesn't even make you fat because it's just not even food. We better not be getting a letter from the licorice lobby <laughs> about this. <laughs> We're gonna hey, anyway. I, heard, I heard you talking talking trash, <laughs> talking about licorice. Shit about licorice. <laughs> All right. Disclaimer: We are not licorice experts, and you should not take our guidance. On and this podcast podcast is not sponsored by licorice. Nope. Though it could be licorice if you want to. Actually, know. we don't have any sponsors. <laughs> we well, how do we get those? I don't know. We are our own sponsors. If you are listening to our podcast and you would like want to, to be give a us sponsor, money, we'll just take it. That's yep. fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, Maybe we should have like a Patreon or something. Isn't that a thing? Nah, nah. People do. Have time for that. Then <laughs> the world can be our sponsors. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, we got some news this week. What's that, Seth? The Juice Mancy Patch came out. <laughs> As did. we discussed last week, it's very hard to say it with the correct emphasis. Yeah. Everybody uh, just, just take a moment. Juice Mancy Patch. Juice Mancy Patch. Juice Mancy Patch. See? Just the, just the cadence fall. Juice yeah. Mancy Patch. The solution to this was in the trailer, Sam said. The Juice Mancy Patch. <laughs> Gotta get that yeah, space in do it. it. Literally could do um, it. Yeah, so that's a big uh, patch for Crashlands. It has controller support, a new sort of magic system thing. Uh, we got a trailer. We got blog posts. We got basically everywhere you look on the oh. internet about mm-hmm. Crashlands, there'll be some info about it. So then just go there and look at it. Also, the trailer's pretty good. The trailer is pretty good. Sam's honed his trailer skills mm-hmm. enormously. Mm-hmm. He also made a, a picture of a baby controller with a Bluetooth. <laughs> and for leaks. all you uh, mobile controller babies out there. My, yeah. my favorite part of the trailer is... Is the controller that Sam created <laughs> for the controller support? You just put a bunch of random ass buttons and joysticks. Like at hey, one <laughs> point, there's a joystick just poking out of the bottom left <laughs> grip for some reason. You I know, think so you it, was, it with your palm. Yeah, I think it was an accurate representation of a Steam controller. Oh right, yes, <laughs> that would have been just, that would have been just a completely flat surface covered in discs. <laughs> <Right. Next laughs> covered in discs. Next gen. It's probably it's a VR controller. <laughs> Very next gen. Um, yeah. yeah. So that's happening, and we're excited. We actually just hit the launch button. Uh, about half hour before we recorded this, so probably everything's burning down right now. Yeah, we just yeah. retreated we into this fireproof bunker for an hour to just just relax. Went to the, we went to yep. the pod cave. The Hang the pod out with ca- you guys. To the pod cave. And uh, by the time you're listening to this, Crashlands should be on sale on Steam, which means we can just say it now. Yeah. yeah. Or was on sale on Steam because it's only a 48-hour deal. to get, get in it And it's possible Sorry. that you're listening to this podcast weeks into the future. Mm-hmm. Although statistically not likely. Not likely, but it's analytics. possible. Um, also, it's only, only going to be 10 buckaroos today, yeah. I guess, for the next 48 hours. Yeah, yeah. On Steam. So yeah. get it. So get it. Okay, good talk, bye. Yeah. Uh, we also have a job opening still. Yep. To the yep. artist position. Uh, we are rolling on that one. So we've moved a number of people actually into the, the first art test. And a few of them were prepping the second art test. And the funny thing is we always talk about how the way we do things is basically building the highway in front of the car. As yeah. we go, so yes, Adam's actually building the tech we need to do the second part of the art test. Yeah, it is I almost saw, done though. I saw a uh, there. You remember Wallace and Grummet? Yeah, remember that. Remember that shit. There's, there's a this scene where they make a track. Yeah, there's this for there's, the there's a scene in Wallace and Grummet where Grummet the dog is. Riding on a little remote control or electric train, and he's holding a box of tracks in his hand, and he's laying the tracks down <laughs> as he's riding it. And I was like, "Yeah, that's, that's basically it's us." That is yeah. a perfect. Yeah. That's perfect. So once Adam gets the tech piece done, then we'll actually be able to do the second part of the art test. Yeah, which which should be so soon. Yeah. Maybe so today, if you okay. haven't, if you if you want to apply for the two D art position, you haven't gotten your name in the hat. Just bear in mind that the beginning of it is still open, mm-hmm. uh, but we don't know for how long. Yeah. So yeah, yeah I think don't our- don't dilly dally. Is our plan yeah. basically just to, once we feel like we're ready, just close yep. all of it? Yep, so get, get your name in as soon as possible. Um, we have had, like I said, over 200 applicants. Um, Snooze, it's, you lose. It's quite the... work through it fast. Quite the competitive pool. So, yeah. Yeah. If you we've want got to throw some your pretty stellar there. applicants in mm-hmm. there already. Yeah, and almost nobody has peed in the pool yet. Yeah. So Yeah, but yeah. <laughs> just... Just you wait. There's always one. There's always someone. Um, Also, upcoming this weekend is Ludum Dare or Ludum Dare, depending on. Ludum Dare. Ludum Dare. Ludum Dare. Dare. Uh, So that's happening. It's a uh, 48-hour solo game jam competition, right? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. You can also do a co-op if you want to have fun. Oh, yeah. There's a a jam portion uh, where you can do it with a team. Uh, and also the solo stuff is judged. So you can have your game rated on different metrics. As if there know. wasn't enough random arbitrary judgment on the internet. Yeah. yeah. So there just needs to be more of just that, some more. what we all want uh, is to be judged more. I would like yeah. Yeah, <laughs> anonymous user number six to just just let me have it. Let I think know. though, I would I would advocate though that if you're if you're an early game dev and you're trying to improve your craft, yeah, then you should be judged so that you can get an outside perspective about things you need to improve on. I think that's assuming a lot about the quality of the judgment. It is, but probably in this context. It's pretty good. It's pretty good, yeah. Because these aren't just arbitrary players. It's true. This is a community. Yeah, This isn't... This costs 99 cents, one out of five stars. Mm -hmm. This is hopefully something like critical review and it's also the case that they use this interesting algorithm for judging because they want people to rate games right and so if you make a game and you want your game to be rated then you have to basically they have like an algorithm that sorts games to the top and the whoever rates more games their game gets sorted to the top of the rating algorithm for other people right so if you rate a whole bunch of games then other people will rate your game more so very cool that's pretty cool um yeah so we are going to be doing that this weekend uh just for funsies so you should also do it well and w- well, what are we going to do so, we'll be so we will doing a few different things we're doing a few different things because the if you're going to do this if you do a jam strictly in the way that it's designed of course you follow the rules you get given a theme and you go make the thing according to whatever you're supposed to do upload it get it judged whatever and let dara is a single person jam single person jam um for, we we use uh, jams. We, we talk about them a lot. We use them for all kinds of purposes. The main thing is that it gives you a chance to tackle a problem that you can just throw yourself an enormous amount of time into in a compressed period of time, which is really good for accelerated learning or for sort of getting a head start on something interesting. Yeah. So we use it to explore stuff mm-hmm. mostly. And sometimes... It's that- like a lock-in. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So sometimes that means last uh, we did. I didn't think we didn't talk about this in podcast because we did, we, we did definitely. Mm. But we did it after the podcast. <laughs> did, wait, did we? Yeah, yeah. Oh fuck! <laughs> I know we talked about how we were going to do it. Yeah, well, we did it, and it, it was, was great. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, there. Which again is all to say that uh that doing a jam, just throwing yourself into a project with all of your being, uh, is just a great way to do stuff, mm-hmm. and so. So when we do jams, we just decide why we're going into it with a clear goal, which sometimes is just do the jam as intended because you'll still get a lot out of that. Um, but even still, you should go in with some additional layers of things you're trying to accomplish. Like, oh, I want to try out this new piece of tech or, right. oh, I'm going to restrict my color palette as right. an artist. Yeah, see what happens. change your constraints, right? Yeah, yeah. Which, so, which reminds me too, mm-hmm. um, is speaking of starting new projects, next uh-huh. week... <laughs> We're gonna start. Is this to, a segue? I'm detecting a segue. We're gonna start working on Quadrupus Two. Yep. Yep. We are. Yeah. Uh, that is the plan. We we may even start doing it during the jam. Yeah. Well, maybe that's gonna be our jam. Project. Why the Juice Mancy patch is such a big deal because it's well over like it's basically 300 ish hours of. 400 400 hours yeah. of, of Seth programming it's just Seth's yep. piece of work on yeah. it which if you if you assume i'm working a 40 hour week which is false <laughs> uh, that's 10 <laughs> weeks of programming yeah right? so there's it's a it's a lot of stuff but it's also the uh, the sort of the big patch before the creator one, and it's in other words, it's it's the last big patch that Seth has to be extremely involved in, and the reason that's important is because we still have our various bottlenecks as a studio, which means that once Seth is done with the Juice Mancy patch, which is as of today, we start working on the next game. Exactly. Yep. The the uh, the bottle has opened. The neck got fat. The neck, we got fat. <laughs> we got fat. <laughs> fat old butterscotch <laughs> neck. Yeah. So Crashlands, we've passed on to sure. Yeah. End of this no. week. It will now be his responsibility. You know, yeah, it's you know those scenes in cartoons where there's like the coyotes walking, and then all of a sudden there's like a shadow that appears, mm-hmm. and then moments later a giant anvil crushes him. Mm-hmm. That's what it's going to be like for sure. <laughs> Getting handed the code base for Crashlytics. Like <laughs> <laughs> it is huge. It's years of work. That must be mildly terrifying. Yeah, yeah. He's he's going to have some. He's going to have his work cut out for him. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's going to be fun. We aren't going to announce any specifics about Quadrupus 2 because even we don't know what it's going to be. Nope. It Much like be a, a planet in No Man's Sky, even we have no clue what's going to be. But it will there. be better than any one of those <laughs> planets. I <laughs> guarantee you that. Yeah, there'll be there'll be more gameplay in it. Uh, <laughs> so that's happening. Uh, and the, before we get to questions. Queries. I wanted to also have a, a brief chat about the idea of motivation. Mm, Okay motivation. I so, want you to light my pants on fire, Seth. All right. So uh so at Pixel Pop Festival mm-hmm. a few weeks back or a month back or something. It was decades ago. Yeah, it seems like, it seems like we're in a time, time warp constantly yeah. so I've no idea. eons ago, uh, I gave a talk about just how to how to do the things that you want to do mm-hmm. in your life. And the basic gist of my talk was uh, that a lot of people have this this idea that they just need to get motivated, right? That they need to kind of get this surge of energy and just kind of push through the difficulties of life. Um, But the point of my talk was, was that that's not necessarily true that what you should really focus on is trying to find ways to restructure your life so that you can much more. So you don't have to fight things in order to get Mm -hmm. done the stuff you want to do. Right. Uh, So it's kind of, it's the, the simple analogy is, you know, the person who says, I want to lose weight. And then they keep, just a fuckload of junk food in their cabinet, mm-hmm. right? Every or time have a they, spouse who does. Yeah. And every time mm-hmm. you open up the the pantry, you have to make a conscious decision not to eat all this fucking delicious food. And while that right? sounds super badass, it's, it's dumb. It's dumb. Cause you will <laughs> lose that fight every time. Well, you um, only have to lose once and then you just basically, and then game it's over. You're like, Oh, fuck it. I'm just gonna eat this whole cake now. Yeah. Uh, so at the end of the talk, we got a question. All mm-hmm. right. Sorry. I got a question. Um, about the idea of motivation and the question was something along the lines of uh, what do you think about the idea of providing yourself with external rewards so for example if you want to learn how to make games and you say to yourself every time i spend two hours working on making games i get to watch an episode of my favorite show on netflix as a reward Right, mm-hmm. um, and my immediate gut response was no, this is terrible. Right, <laughs> uh, so that's what I said basically. Um, then I started. But you doing, didn't know why. I don't know why. So I started reading. I know uh, there's a book called Drive mm-hmm. by Daniel Pink, Pink? Um, which I'm just now starting to read in response to having been asked this question and trying to figure out why I had that reaction. Um, but then Sam has already read this book. Of course. So hit us with the... Sam has read, I think, every book? Yeah. So... I am the library. So why would it be a bad idea to give yourself a treat for doing a thing that you, in theory, already want to do? Besides that you're not a dog. (laughs) (laughs) Aside (laughs) from the non-dogness part. This comes down to, uh, some, some interesting psychology stuff. Oh, shit. So, so strap in. These are $10 Walmart chairs, and they do not have (laughs) seatbelts on them. Put on your psychology pants. All right, so the basic idea is that motivation can fall uh, broadly into two categories. There's extrinsic motivation, which basically just means external. In other words, giving yourself a treat for doing something. Or getting paid a commission for mm -hmm. making a sale. And then there's uh, intrinsic motivation, which is motivation that arises from within uh, self-satisfaction self-satisfaction is one of those uh feelings of efficacy are one of those like just doing like, a thing because it's fun doing it because it feels give makes you feel warm fuzzy uh now the the interesting thing is that you can you can essentially move the degree to which an activity that you're doing falls under an extrinsically motivated one or an intrinsically motivated one so in the example of I want to make games for a living. So what am I going to do? Okay, well, if it's if it's something like I really love and absolutely really want to do, then I shouldn't have too much of a hard time actually just essentially being interested in doing the thing and getting driving some sort of pleasure from making the game and then like showing it to a friend or a spouse or something. And making something. progress towards that bigger goal. Mm-hmm. Um, the danger it's, it's comes. It's interesting. In. Right? It's interesting. You just you already want to do it. And the way you could do that with the example you gave is by saying, okay, uh, like I I want to do this. But in order to do it, I feel like I need to essentially treat myself afterwards. So if I work on it for two hours, then I'll go watch a Netflix show. Now, the problem with that is that intrinsic and extrinsic motivation are, from a lot of studies, shown to be actually a little bit mutually exclusive. In other words, you don't get to have both when it comes to an activity that you're doing. So they kind of crowd. Well, an extrinsic always crowds out intrinsic. Okay. So if I say, Hey Seth, you know you've been doing a great job. Um, I'm gonna need you to do this uh programming piece. And if you do that,
1: I'm if you gonna do give it you super
0: good, I'm gonna give you a cookie. Now the problem is Seth is now working toward the cookie. Yeah, the okay? thing that he wants is the cookie, not, <laughs> not the... the completion of yeah. the task. So I'm just gonna get it done. <laughs> so you're gonna get it done. And then when the next activity comes up and I'm like, Hey, I'm out of cookies. The... Like, well, fuck you. I'm not writing this code. Exactly. You can the, give me some cookies. <laughs> the efficacy with with which Seth will complete the task, um is likely to drop, and then also his ability to actually just generate that intrinsic motivation that may have been there in the first place that we essentially replaced with a fucking cookie. It's also important to add gone. that he can also just go buy a cookie anytime he wants. He could, because he's a goddamn adult. You can eat licorice for breakfast. Exactly. So, but so again, now, why would you? The, so the, so the <laughs> thing that ties together the the thing you're trying to do with that reward is super weak and tenuous because mm-hmm. at any given moment you can decide well, actually I'm just gonna have a cookie now, mm-hmm. and then and then I'll maybe code later or whatever. Right. Yeah. So the basic point is that uh, you have to be very, very careful when it comes to things you actually feel like you want to do, or that like a part are, or that that are a part of your sort of you know life's ambitions. If you start piling up extrinsic rewards as the you know system by which you get yourself to that goal of say being a game developer, uh, losing the weight, whatever, uh, it's actually highly likely that you'll both have a harder time doing it, and then in the case where there aren't rewards offered, you suddenly will be essentially unable to do it. Because the motivation that you used to have that was inside is now X, outside, and it's gone. Well, and I think there's also, an ev- there's another kind of sinister layer to this, mm. which is if you are coming up with your own reward system, then now you have another thing to manage. Yeah, yeah. Right. What, like, what happens when you run out of episodes? Well, how do of you that reward show? yourself for maintaining your reward? Yeah, system? you're gonna need another one, right? You're like, yeah, once I fi- once I plan out this this next set of rewards, then I get to eat a then cookie, I get a cookie. <laughs> and then once I do the thing that I planned, then I get to watch Netflix. So, you slowly start realizing that everything you're doing is actually not about the thing you're doing, but rather about getting cookies and eating Netflix. And then you might as well just... You might as well just be a robot. Skip the, skip the middleman and just go <laughs> eat some fucking cookies and watch You'll get just as much work done in both cases. Yeah. Which is none. Which is none. Yeah. To so be d- the whole takeaway really should be, if you want to do something, just do it. Shut well, up. But I think there's an important piece <laughs> of this, right? Which is that you... And, and we've talked about this before too you can't just say i i want to be a game developer and then go do that because that's not an achievable goal you can say i want to go watch netflix because you can literally sit down and watch netflix and i think this is where a lot of the problem comes in because yeah if you if you're if the thing that internally motivates you is to be a game developer, you can't make progress. You can just see that shows you that you have yeah, done. You, you can't just instantly do it. Like right. you can like watching it. You have to work at it for years. I mean, this is true of any, of any uh, really complicated skill. And so what that means is that that has to stop being your goal. You need much nearer term mm. goals that are leading you towards that. So that your planning now becomes, I want to be beca- become a game developer or novelist or want to get into shape or whatever you now set up a set of achievable short-term goals that move you towards that. And now every day when you go work at that thing, you can measure your progress towards this clearly achievable thing that you can actually see how your progress is going towards that. Yeah. And I also want to say, I mean, I think it, it really just helps to fall in love with the process rather than the outcome. Yeah. That's just, that's really what it's all about. Like if you, if you just enjoy the sort of warm up of sitting down and, Slamming your fingers into the keys and getting, you know, getting the arthritic pops out of your knuckles as you work through <laughs> some code and then just losing yourself in it for 40 minutes. If you can learn to enjoy it, mm-hmm. then the outcome is essentially inevitable yeah. at the end of the day. And there's some things that you can do to make that even better. So getting a mechanical keyboard. Yeah, that's why we all oh God, it feels so good. Which makes the office sound like a, you know, thunder hoof. Factory or something—it's just out of control. It is out of control, and I will say too, it's it's, with with some things it can be uh it can be harder to reach that state where you feel the kind of inherent satisfaction in doing the work. Um, programming is one of those things where it's hard to get over that initial hump, I think, mm-hmm. because you know what it's what's possible because you've seen games that people have made and that kind of thing. You've been using software your whole life, but the software that you can write at the beginning is terrible right by beginning you mean months and even years yeah Uh, where even at the you know in the first month you might be able to write something that can like you know take a couple inputs and do some pretty simple pre-planned calculations and spit an output back at you right you're like well what the hell is this for like i could have just done this by hand very easily um but it's building blocks you know toward that bigger thing so you also have to be able to kind of see the longer term vision you know and use that to sustain those smaller goals so Mm -hmm. Anyway, uh, I just thought that was kind of an interesting yeah. interesting side thought. Drive so. is a good book. Yep. Yeah, I'm going to finish it. Actually, I probably don't need to now because you just told no, me. No, you can finish it. Spoil- Spoilers. There's, uh, <laughs> there's oh, lots shit, of, we didn't do a spoiler alert. There's lots of details in there. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. the, the summary is yeah. find a way to make the thing you actually supposedly care about the motivational thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or if it's not, then what are you doing? Stop yeah. it. Yeah. Quit lying to yourself. Quit yeah. it to <laughs> Let's get to some questions. All right. Questions come from podcast.bscotch.net. You can ask them with your B-Scotch ID or just anonymously, I guess, if that's what yeah, you're Yeah, whatever. Into. And uh, almost nobody does, though. So, you know, why would you true? want to be one of those nobodies? Yeah. Why literally. Are you got to pee in the pool? Literally. Why <laughs> you got to pee in the pool? <laughs> and uh, every week we take a, a good number of these in, in Plathroom and try to talk about what our community is interested and, in, you know, maybe sass some people because that's what we're. Pretty much all about. Yep. All right, Drop first question some sass bombs. Comes from map5597, who says, explain the physics slash science behind one of your games. So, for example, how an infinitely long, perfectly straight cave and flop rocket has consistent gravity slash downward acceleration how the pilot survives turning in Roid Rampage, or why the cluster of asteroids is so big in Roid Rampage. Okay, so, for starters, the cluster of asteroids in Roid Rampage is actually very, very small. Uh, this game takes place on almost a microscopic level, mm-hmm. and the pilot is um, shrunk down. It's like a honey-I shrunk the kids scenario. Yeah, uh, because it's, it's actually the case that— So this is actually space dust? That you're it's space dust. I think okay. it's actually yeah. a cookie that was crumbled in space. Yeah. They yeah. actually chunks um, of cookies. Somebody was eating a cookie and they As spilled an extrinsic reward. Yes. Yeah. 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 Uh, they spilled some juice in space and then it kind of because they were went, watching Netflix and they got extracted. Yeah, like, like you, you ever see on the videos of the International Space Station when the asteroids like, I'm gonna have some orange juice, and mm-hmm. they like, and they squirted like the it Yeah, and it's like <laughs> little droplets just kind oh, of yeah. disperse, right? So that's kind of what's happening here. So um, you're saying that the entire Butterscotch Universe actually takes place on a sort of like a kitchen table? No, just Droid Rampage does. Okay, um, there was there were some accidents involving size manipulation rays, mm. and um, but the interesting thing is <laughs> that the 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 pilot and the spaceship actually maintain their uh, mass, right? So they're super dense, which mm. is interesting. Um, they can accelerate really rapidly, though. So I guess that means their propulsion systems are really powerful. Uh, well, they can, except if you think about it, they're almost m- not moving at all. That is true. Yeah. You know? well, let's talk about. <laughs> let's talk about why is it that you know? Let's explain the physics. And also, they move space and st- they stand still, and space moves around them. Explain right? the physics to me be b- behind you know Flux's Infinisuit, suit, for example. Well, well, there's just there's just a black hole in it. Yeah, we, we talked about this before. Yeah. Right? yeah there's it's there's really a it's, there's a wormhole in the pockets that goes to a uh, Bureau of Shipping storage warehouse. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, as far as the the cave and flop rocket, um, it actually doesn't have gravity. It has reverse centrifugal force. So it's spinning. Yeah, the, the asteroid's spinning really fast. Um, yeah. And then when you go to the the cutscene at the end, uh, it just has slowed down by then. So. Yeah. <laughs> and the cave actually, the cave actually isn't very big. You're just going. It's a, It's actually just in a loop, and you're just going through it. Yeah, the, ca- the cave, cave is again. curved. It's not straight. It's just yeah. that the curvature is so slight. It's, it's so like so how gentle. you drive over. You know, you're driving over the planet. Planet's curved. So is the asteroid. You can't. Cave. Tell. You just can't tell. You can't because tell. You just look at such a small yeah, slice. and it's basically thing. it's uh, like the, the stalactites and stalagmites in in this cave are things that can just spawn really quickly because there's really fast water condensation yeah. in this cave. You know, so space, even though planets. you're just, yeah. So even though you're flying around in a loop, it appears that you're going through different, you know, different architecture the whole time because you're blowing up a lot of these stalactites mm. by running into them. And, yeah. Um, and then other ones are just growing suddenly. So that the next time you loop around, well, they're, they're later, organic stalactites. Yeah, exactly, they're cage-free, yeah. um, grass-fed, yeah. you know, they, well, yeah, you go. We well, they, well, we they do treat our stalactites poorly. Yeah, yeah but we know. did have to put, you know, they do have hormones though, because otherwise they can't grow that fast. Yeah, that's true. I we, mean, it's okay. So it's not, otherwise, the they're cage-free. Are, the hormones are organic. They're though. cage-free, right, super happy, <laughs> super jacked stalactites. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you don't want to be putting inorganic hormones no, into your no, stalactites. That's fucked up. Our next question comes from Anonix or An0NX, who asks, do you guys plan on adding proper Windows touch support for devices such as the Surface? <laughs> I've seen murmurs in the Steam forums, but not sure if it's dropped off the radar. Let's talk about okay, this. Okay, so we're in an ethical conundrum. Let's talk about this. Okay. As developers... As players, as and hopefully beings. if Microsoft is paying attention to this podcast right now, let's let's go. Let's go down this road. Okay, so here's what we know. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, Android and iOS devices use touchscreens. And anytime you tap on, on that screen, it counts as a click at the, at the location that you tapped. Seems to make sense. Makes sense, right? So when we program a game uh, for, say, Windows, we, when you click the mouse, we just say, where did you click the mouse? And then register a click there. We do the exact same thing on Android and iOS, uses the same code. So there's a standard basically. There is a standard. Okay. okay? So the surface, which by the way, showed up much later than Android and iOS. Mm-hmm. Much, much later. Much later. Um, decided we're not going to use this standard. We're going to make it so that when you touch the first time, it doesn't click. It just moves your cursor there. And then you have to touch again to register the actual click mm-hmm. so people playing crash lines on the surface have to double tap and this is true for any developer who wants to make a game mm-hmm. compatible with the surface which means they have to make an option so that players can manually turn on touch mode okay so this is mm-hmm. this is the problem now for us we have to ask ourselves the question should we do the legwork that microsoft should have done to to work around this problem, should every single developer in should the universe every developer solve this? have to solve this problem that Microsoft created? That Microsoft for created. no fucking <laughs> reason. This is what they did with fucking Internet Explorer. Exactly. Yeah. This is, Microsoft has a problem. <laughs> with right. It. And so and so the, so this is what I'm saying. You know is, how much human time has been wasted by Microsoft? for A this lot. Shit? Yeah. You, in my initial days of building websites, when I was first learning a program, the task of going in and booting up the website you just spent like three days building in. Internet Explorer to see if it it's a nightmare. Looked, it was terrifying because inevitably it broke because mm-hmm. they didn't they didn't adhere to any standards because they're like, We're Microsoft, we'll do it everyone. Yeah. And so our approach with our web stuff has Always said, don't use Internet Explorer. Yeah, it just if, literally you're, if you're says, looking at this, yeah, if you're looking right. at this and it's broken, it's because you're using a, a bad browser. Yeah, right? use a better one. And That's um, on you because you're being irresponsible. What are you doing? Yeah, yeah. And so, so I guess the the problem here is by by every developer taking it upon themselves to make sure that they cover for Microsoft's bad. It's allows them to continue to be shitty. Exactly. And so we contribute to the problem by mm. solving this and hiding the fact that it's a problem. So it's kinda yeah. like when you're at when you you know you see your nephew or something. And yeah. You're just being like a little <laughs> They're just kind of being in a you know an asshole. And everyone in the room's like, oh that's just that's just our nephew Steve, you know? <laughs> he's he's six, he's just kind of a mean kid. Yeah. It's whatever. And you're like, everybody just so. laughs at Steve? No. You know you gotta you gotta look Steve in the eye and be like, knock that shit off. <laughs> so we were originally, you know, talking about... I think we, Well, the thing is, we started doing it. We started doing it. We started looking into it. we realized that the scale of it, again, so again, think it took like 300 hours to get the, the controller support in for Crashlands. And that's something that a lot of people want and will use. Mm-hmm. When we started digging into the this whole double tap for no reason situation, it became revealed that it was actually going to take a large amount of time. And again, the question is... Why? Why? It shouldn't have to. Yeah. <laughs> because again, this is also on the same machine that you just plug a mouse into and click, and it just works fine. Yeah. Like that, right? Yeah. So it makes no sense. So nope. I think we need to just take a stand here mm-hmm. and just say no. If you want touch support, go talk to Microsoft. Well, here's about the problem, this. you know, the, yeah. our our beautiful players like are They get caught in the middle. Get caught in the crossfire. I know. No, you we know? are caught in the middle. Between them and Microsoft. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Wait, who's, who's in the middle? Who's in the middle? Because, <laughs> because, no, we're in the, we're in the middle because for them to get touch support, all they have to do is go, hey, can I have touch support? And then they just go on with their lives. Mm-hmm. For for us to have to create touch support, we have to postpone the next game. Mm-hmm. We have to spend dozens or hundreds of hours putting this patch together, test it, debug it, and then put it out there. Mm-hmm. It's very expensive for us. Right? Really so, expensive. That's true. Yeah. And it is interesting because the reason that Microsoft got away with this with Internet Explorer is because they had 90% of the market mm-hmm. for a while. They could it, do whatever they wanted to do because Windows, it came yeah. with Windows. And then after a bit of, you know, Busting of of things from governments and the uh, the big pushes by Mozilla and then Chrome mm-hmm. actually pushed it down so it has now a very limited share except in tightly controlled corporate environments and but for some reason they're behaving as if they still own the entire market for touch devices Weird. which is definitely which is definitely not, not, the, not case. the case <laughs> although they probably do own it for touch. PCs, touch laptop hybrid combo. I mean, yeah. the surfaces Pieces. are cool. Oh yeah, yeah. great hardware. devices. Yep. Yeah, but yeah. they came a long time after all the other touch devices. Yep. So you don't get to go trying to set a new standard. Well, and I would honestly say, I mean, if if you introduced it like a new smartphone to the market mm-hmm. that used this bizarre, you know, double tap thing, um, people would find it such a pain to port their stuff and develop mm-hmm. for that it wouldn't have the software it needed and it would collapse. Mm-hmm. Right. So, uh, yeah. So I there think you go, Not bad, ex- I think it's a bad move. I think, now you know how we feel about it. <laughs> I, think, uh, I think we should. I'm a little upset. We need to, we have better things to do with our time. That's what I'll say. Then, then the let game. other people waste it. Yeah. Just the end. All right, moving Ran on. Run over. Completely. Next yeah, question comes get that from off my chest. From this is very serious, guys. Bidets in their place in the 21st century, please discuss. Have you guys ever used a bidet? I, like, I, I I've haven't never used, used, used one, but I've so heard good things. Yeah. Every time I hear a story, someone's like, I thought this was this weird european thing i did it and it's the most amazing situation ever i got one installed in my home you know how much force comes out of it like is it kind of a like a jet <laughs> it must stream? be a jet right or is it like a drinking fountain like a i a think little... it's more like a drinking cuz how could that really do? i don't want to think about it being like a drinking fountain you know it's <laughs> <laughs> a drinking fountain for your butt. <laughs> but well, it's, if it, it's but kind if it of was like, a jet, then that would be an enema device instead of a cleaning device. Well, yeah, you gotta find you gotta walk the line, right? Yeah. You gotta you gotta have enough enough. <laughs> jet I guess force how that how it deep could... of a clean do you want? And I also, is it my colon? Also, I mean, it's just water, right? Like it's not it's not like soap and water. You could it's not like you're put getting some a, eucalyptus, a, some eucalyptus or mint in there. <laughs> yeah, it's not like you're getting Like <laughs> a midday butthole shower, right? Like you're just. I'm not going to take a shower. I'm just gonna. Take a tiny Take a shower bidet. in a very specific area. <laughs> Is their role any different in the 21st century? That's one part I think, of this I find amusing. Well, yeah, I mean, it wasn't, that, wasn't that what everybody was freaked out with, with Y2K? Everybody was like, once the year 2000 work. happens, uh, bidets are going to change everything, yeah. right? Yeah. Did they? It's going to be a That's fresh I eucalyptus I scent was everywhere. I was pretty young at the time, so my <laughs> recollection may be All right, next there. question comes from uh, French Toast Mafia. This is interesting. some interesting studio questions and studio growth questions. The new nannigans are nice, but I'm curious if it's scary letting new people behind the Emerald Curtain. For context, uh, we hired our first people in July. Correct. So. And are hiring another person right sometime now. very soon. Yeah. Growing the studio headcount is only is the only way to maintain your library and produce more, but the Acoster Vibe which is our last name, seems to be the studio, <laughs> for those of you who don't know. Uh, and then he says, as a command, don't dilute past 50%. Uh, to clarify, will you try to keep your cost or collective influence over the direction at, at or above 50% or do you think it'll you'll grow a culture and let that guide the studio with less direct influence over day to day? So kind of the question kind of is like, how do you grow a studio without losing whatever it was that you started the studio with in the first place, I guess, right? Right. Yeah, I think it's, well, I mean, it's, it's obvious to say that um, up until this, up until, you know, we started bringing new people on, that Butterscotch and the three of us were a synonymous entity because we were the whole thing, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so I don't think it's, I don't think it's correct to say that that without the three of us, there can't be Butterscotch shenanigans. Mm-hmm. Um, at the moment that's the case Correct. right but that's only because we haven't uh, we haven't expanded it yet right yep so that actually is our longer term goal is to as as we bring new people in as we hire to actually put a huge emphasis on on re- reflecting on on the stuff that we've done and the things that we believe to be true about our work about just how to think about um, you know being a creative person and how to also be a professional mm-hmm. right. Um, and how to incorporate our ideas about all this stuff into the culture of of the workplace, right? So that we can recreate the same kind of vibes that got us to where we are and pass those on to other people. I think that's totally a teachable thing, oh, yeah. right? Um, but you probably do need people who are starting somewhere already pretty close. Like we, we have this idea that like people, a lot of people... I would say are kind of like fixed points, mm-hmm. right? Where uh, everybody's coming from very different backgrounds and have very different life experiences and stuff. And you can deviate, you know, a ways from that. But uh, by the time you're, you know, middle-aged, you can only deviate so far, right? There's, there's only a certain amount of elasticity. There's that, only so much elasticity, yeah. Um, and so that's that's kind of where the hiring process comes in, which is like we're doing with these 200 whatever applicants for the, the art position. And the idea is to try to to try to find people who can can do the work, but also who their mindset is pretty close already to the kinds of things that we are that we believe about the world and the things that we're trying to do. Um, and then it's just kind of little wiggles, right? Mm-hmm. Just to kind of uh, teach the rest of it. Well, like there's also the an interesting point here, which is that um, you want culture to be a self reinforcing and sustaining thing. Yeah, and the reality is still based on the size of the studio and just how new we are at actually having other people in the studios that that's not like if we just vacated the premises that would not be the case right so we need to get we, we need to get the studio to a point where the culture is essentially deep enough and there's enough of a tribe here that it would just Self continue on in perpetuity and yeah. certainly evolve in, in lots of cool ways because that's the one fun really fun part about having new people come in is actually like I don't view it as a dilution to have additional people come in who are it's, amazing. A, it's a strengthening. Exactly. Right? Amazing what they do. It adds some other dimensionality to it. Um, and certainly it makes it so it's not just us at the end of the day, but that's actually, that's what the goal is, is to sort yeah. of build this culture that is self-sustaining and can, and can reinforce itself over time. Well, really and part of is. what we'll do that is by having very clear brand management and goals. Uh, as well as what we're trying to do, which is universe building. Because not only do we want to try to have the culture be kind of a, a clear, coherent thing, but the whole idea of what we're trying to build here is that it, it's a it's a group of people who are making cool stuff. And if everybody's trying to make the same kind of cool stuff, it basically by necessity means that it's going to recruit the same like-minded people and they'll they'll be similarly interested and passionate in the same kinds of things. Uh, so by us paying really close attention to the the public face we put out... Mm-hmm. And as well as just the kinds of stuff that we make and how that all feels to other people and making that really consistent, then uh, then that can feed back into the studio culture and, and help propagate that. Because now everybody's working in service towards that thing, mm-hmm. not in service to us yeah. right, or to the company or even to each other, but towards this loftier goal of making things that make people feel a certain way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think this is, it's harder to do at the beginning because- yeah. Because Absolutely. with just the three of us, it's easy for somebody to come in and see what we're doing and how we're doing it and stuff, and go, "Well, that's just the Costers, right?" Because there, there's an easy identifier that you can just ascribe to all, prescribe to all three of us, right. which um, is a cop out. Yeah, which is a cop out. Um, because <laughs> understandable. Yeah, because you know we believe that that with the right you know mental approach and the right attitude. Um, anybody can learn how to do the stuff that we're mm-hmm. doing um, and so you just have to jump in right and so uh, we we have the challenge of sort of of creating that atmosphere with the first batch of people mm-hmm. over the first you know few years of studio expansion but then when person number 20 comes in yeah. and they see that 17 other people in the studio um, have adopted the you know work habits and mindset and everything that we have then it's like okay it's not just the three of these people right. doing it so bigger here yeah Yeah, so you got you got to create that social proof Mm -hmm. so that's the first hurdle but yeah i think it's doable cool all right next question comes from jinx soul who asks what's your favorite inside joke and can you explain the story behind it this is uh, speaking to the whole studio culture thing little bit um we have there's a we do a bunch of just weird stuff in the office that's like (laughs) triggers some of it is an inside joke some of it is just i don't know i think most of it is not yeah most of it's in a weird emergent property that isn't funny but that everybody just started to do yeah so one good example it's a tradition yeah it's a tradition tradition. so uh seth had some people over installing solar panels on the house the other day and they were drilling on stuff upstairs with these really loud electric drills that are essentially like vibrating the whole house and making these really intense screaming noises like (laughs) just for, you know, a minute or two at a time. And after this had been going on for, I don't know, 10 minutes or so, I think I just started screaming and I would just match the pitch. Yeah. We all started harmonizing with someone else did. And then the whole office was just screaming. Everyone's just working straight faced, and just, you know, clacking on their keyboards going, we we make a lot of noise actually. (laughs) Yeah. I think Andy coined it. It was Andy or uh, Michael, one of our jam session buddies who, who uh, coined the phrase noise, noise session, session. <laughs> because frequently a noise would happen in the space and then everybody would try to make <laughs> the noise <So> <laughs> celebrate the noise and so so we do noise sessions those are those are kind of just an gotta get it out you know, it's like it's like getting steam out of your brain yeah and then uh, the other one engine. is is saying if if something happens or you're in agreement with something instead of just saying cool or okay you go coo coo coo. <laughs> and then when you start doing it, some random person will start doing it because the noise system thing. And <laughs> yeah. so the whole office starts cooing. Coo 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 coo. There's a lot of weird stuff going on here. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. my my favorite is the uh that we we get well, I, we haven't done it lately actually, but we mm. for a time that we were ordering Jimmy John's. Frequently, free, pretty frequently, usually at least pretty every frequently. every day, somebody in the office would order mm-hmm. a Jimmy John's. Uh, but I think maybe part of it was the reflexive sort of reflection of like I'm eating the same thing a lot, right? And so <laughs> we started calling it different things. <laughs> so so would so be like, "Hey, uh, you want to get some uh, some jambly jambly jangs for lunch?" And somebody else would be like, "Yeah, I'll, I'll get some some jammy jams." Right? <laughs> uh, so after the first week of of so much Jimmy John's. Then we never called it that again. No. And it had a different name every day. But no. this also has led to sort of that sort of looseness with language again. So taking this idea. Well, is just a habit we have. Yeah. We just have it anyways. And so now the newsletters that we send out, I've started, instead of signing off, our name as Butterscotch Shenanigans. It's just some other word combo. So I think one of them was like boot scooch and shenanigrams. And then I remember what's the last one. God, <laughs> like blubber. Blubber something or other. So I have yet. a, I have a Lover brief, have a brief story about this, this language looseness. Hmm. Cause it's a habit that I've had for most of my life. <laughs> um, and I had, but it's weird too, because sometimes you'll take a word that is concrete. You loosen it up for a while and then it re solidifies as something weird, which right? is basically the origin of every item and creature name in yeah. our game. Uh, yes. So I used to have this buddy, uh, that I played WoW with a long time ago and actually we met him at PAX. Mm-hmm. Um, he stopped by our booth, which is super cool. Uh, and he 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 was a character named Frostfell, which I think was a, like a location from the Neverwinter hmm. something or other. Uh, and for, a, for two years, we played together, and he would log in, and I'd be like, Frostfell, like in, you know, in guild chat. Um, And then after a while of this, random letters started kind of slipping in. Mm -hmm. um, And then it got weirder and weirder. And then finally his name just sort of became locked in at Freestglusen. (laughs) 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 <laughs> so then he, that was just who he was. Freest And Yeah, it's fun to slowly, <laughs> slowly morph stuff. On. Yeah, well, and I guess that's how you create a lot of inside jokes, right? Because the thing is now so far removed from what it once was. Yeah, like it's oh, it just been a on their journey together. If I, you... I said to the new person, that ever said, "Hey, you want some jangs yeah, they'd be like, what is that? You know that sandwich place? Jorby Jorbs? Jor- <laughs> Jamba Jings? What? Jamba Jiggles? Yeah. This all came Junk to last, last week during our jam day, because the idea was it was going to be a jam day. Sam came in wearing pajamas, mm-hmm. and we were planning on ordering ordering Jimmy John's during the day. What, we called it Jammy Jams. Jam-y jams. <laughs> we called it Jammy Jams, and I didn't know if it was talking about the day itself or Jimmy John's. It all became Well, then we also planned to go to the gym that evening. Yeah. So that to have was, some Jimmy Jams. To have some Jimmy Jams. <laughs> 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 Not to be confused with Jimmy Johns or Jammy Jams, which are the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. And then also after the Jammy Jam, we had a Jam Jam where we did a post-mortem about the jam. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of jokes flying around here, I guess. You gotta be able to keep up. <laughs> there's, a, there's a general looseness with the English language in this place. All right. Next question comes from uh, Mitron. Who asks? Okay. Tron. This one had me pondering for a while. Talphite 2 is a twin stick shooter, but you can only throw projectiles in four directions. Why that design choice? The controls feel a bit dizygotic as a result. Yeah, dizygotic. <laughs> so two reasons. <laughs> Hold on, I have to Google this. One. Yeah, I'm not sure that that means that means two zygotes. D- yeah. Think, yeah. It's like dizygotic twins. Two offspring born of the same pregnancy and developed from two ova that were released from the ovary simultaneously. So I'm not maybe the idea is like cuz you have, have cuz you have the two the two joysticks okay right all right take me there maybe one of the maybe <laughs> one of the twins has their head like on their butt or something, okay? Right? Like, something bad happened to so the other twin. So but, oh, because the idea is that one does... One of them is, is like, 360. Yeah, you got two sticks, yeah. right? One of them was 360, and the other one is like, what happened to this other twin, mm. right? Um, well, the, the reason for this is actually because of uh, the simple problem of if you can shoot in any direction, then you can essentially very easily dodge without any problems if enemies have just one particular attack. So what I mean by that is by having only cardinal directions be the movement um there may be the uh shot direction you can do that means you have to essentially peek out from behind cover in order to line up a shot and shoot someone whereas otherwise if the enemy for example can shoot like a laser across or whatever else you could just go stand in a particular place where their attack can't hit you and then fire at them from there diagonally yeah now that's the official story yeah um what what it probably was really was that it was probably a combination of things. One was didn't want to draw art from. We didn't those want to draw. We didn't want to draw the character facing diagonal directions. Also, nobody has time for that. So yeah, nobody <laughs> has time for that. Um, and the other is, I think, a week. Like this was the first game that I, the first full game that I ever programmed mm-hmm. from like start to finish and launched it right. Um, and it was probably the case. That I <laughs> just didn't have the programming chops to shoot diagonal. Yeah. Well, <laughs> no, well, no. the, the diagonal shooting isn't the problem. It's making the, the AI for the enemies able to sort of pathfind and do all the stuff necessary. Cause like, like you're saying having an enemy just move in a straight line on the X and Y and, axes, and fire in a straight line, and fire in a straight line toward the player is no problem. Right. But having them be like, Oh yeah, I can go diagonally. I need to like kind of work my way around this boulder or something. Mm-hmm. Um, it opens up a bunch of bigger problems. Right. Cause if, if an enemy just checks its absolute value of the X and Y difference, if it's within a certain amount, then it is either above you or, or to the side of you, right? So we're so. saying it's both simple for good design reasons and also because we're lazy and dumb. I think medium design reasons, <laughs> sure, and, and then laziness <laughs> well, and dumb. <dumbness>. Dream Predator <laughs> Dream Predator asked a question. He said, uh, hey, I was wondering, do you know the game Binding of Isaac? I know several similarities in some of your games and it makes me happy. The answer is, yeah. Uh, so Tal Fight 2 is essentially a... a I guess spinoff off sort of of the style of Binding of Isaac, which is also one of the reasons why you can't shoot diagonally, because mm. I played the shit out of Binding of Isaac for a while before we made Talfight, And I was like, this works really well because of the fact that you have to basically expose yourself in order to uh, do damage to an enemy. How do you guys feel about twin stick shooters just in general? I don't play as a control scheme. I just, I struggle enormously with them and I don't know what it is, especially, especially the ones like Talfight. Like I, when I try to play, because we, of course, have a PC version of fight which nobody else has. But yeah. uh, <laughs> I played it last week; it's pretty nice. Yeah, when I try to play it though, there's just something about there's something about the twin stick pattern that I just my my hands don't like. Well, I mean, you got to You're essentially thinking with thinking in two directions simultaneously, right? Yeah, you're yeah. moving, and this yeah. is the reason why. Like, if we have our mom play uh, Left for Dead, which is one of the funniest things ever. <laughs> Uh, she can't move and look at things at the same time yeah. because of this exact problem. So, I mean, a lot of twin stick shooters essentially get away from this by becoming just mono stick shooters, where whichever direction you're pointing, when you hit the button, that's the way you shoot. Like and quadrupus. They, like quadrupus, which is actually a so exactly oh, single stick slapper, but it's <laughs> But the interesting stick thing slapper. is that everybody, the controls, we've talked about this before, the control programming. In Quadrupus is exactly the same as it is in Talfight, as in the code was copied from Talfight and, and pasted, pasted into Quadrupus, and yet while we had a ton of uh, disagreements and complaints about the control scheme and Talfight so being problematic, projectile, it has yeah it has slapping. nothing to do with the actual control scheme, more to do with the fact that there, it's a twin stick shooter that has some locked axis firing. Yeah. Yep. Right. That's it. Yep. So there. Yeah. But I think part of that, it, but, <laughs> yeah. but when you do that with a controller, it feels extra bad because you have the full range on a controller using a stick, you know, mm-hmm. but you can then only fire in those four directions. And I yeah. think there's something about that mismatch. That yeah. Just, it's a little gross. feels bad. Yeah. yeah. Ha- having the capacity to aim, but not shoot in that direction. Yeah. is weird. All So right, yeah. let's do this. Uh, last question from French Toast Mafia, who asks, do you think a game could be commercially viable with a cooperative multiplayer only without a competitive component? I feel like games that focus on us-them dichotomy for multiplayer interaction make more money. Why? Uh, well, we should start with the first part of this question. Left 4 Dead. Well, commercially viable. hmm Left 4 Dead. That has also competitive components. It did not when it first launched. That's true. Uh, and it was super viable. But anything is viable for Valve. How about Warframe? Because they have infinite money. That's true. So they could have made something that nobody played and they could have just told everybody, oh, yeah, this is doing great because we can't see their finances, right? Yeah. Well, it's also the case Who knows that... It's also the case that... game, though. ...that the, su- the commercial success of a game is highly contingent on its capacity to get feature spots on storefronts. Mm-hmm. And it interestingly, Valve owns the It stands store. to reason that Valve could get some pretty good feature spots. <laughs> All right, well, so I guess the only two... The two big examples I can think of are, uh, are Magicka. And Left for Dead. Mm-hmm. So Magicka, if you haven't played it, is an incredible co-op game. And warframe. A warframe as well as co-op, right? Um, Warframe's there too. And so there's there's actually a bunch of these that are essentially completely cooperative in nature. Uh, even something like, like a Super Mario for the Wii, mm-hmm. the co-op gameplay is just phenomenal. And actually, the reason why I think anybody would actually buy that game once they if they fully understood what it was like. Yep. And so I think yeah, I think it's it's absolutely the case. I think the reality is that you can't make like a you can't make an esports culture, which is where you see a lot of this, a lot of places trying to push any game that has a competitive element to you. You can't do that if it's just against an AI, mm-hmm. right? Because that's not particularly well, interesting. Well, because and also because AIs are designed to be beaten. Right, and I think right. the other Whereas the other point, in, a, versus, in a player versus player, it's designed so that somebody has to lose. Yeah, well, I think the other point about about uh, you know games that have two sides that players play on making more money. Uh, it also just comes down to the fact that like you're going to have more, but I think about it, if you have five people playing against an AI versus five people playing against another five people, there's 10 copies of the game sold in one scenario and five copies of the game sold in the other scenario. Well, but there could, those other five people could themselves be playing against an AI. So that's what still, if all 10 of the 10 players to, are AI like- and none of them know, <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think there's a, there's a, there's a more important point, which oh, is I see what you're saying. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> Math-wise. Yeah, I got it. Math-wise doesn't make sense, but there's a more (laughs) important point, which is that with a a competitive game, it is other human beings who are the content, right? Mm. With a co-op game, it is the game designers who are making the content, which means co-op games are always, always, always going to be content limited, so they cannot have the same kind of a lifespan that a competitive competitive environment environment can happen because because humans are messy and endless in terms of their exact iterations yeah and people can continue to get better at it whereas so i mean like if you take a game like a really good competitive game uh like overwatch Mm -hmm. where even though it hasn't been out that long the the gap now between a novice player and an expert player is fucking enormous Mm -hmm. right and that's going to keep on going up so that there's still always somebody to harder harder to play against with a co-op game presumably it's player versus environment in some fashion or another player versus some some ai that the developers have created and so the only option is for the developers to keep pushing out content which means it's actually more expensive to make which means games. way more expensive yeah, so just, in terms of financially viable uh again it just depends on what you mean by well that, and, and right? i think co-op games are they probably without without a high threshold for success they will die right because yeah. because if you can't keep funding the development and i think about um World of Warcraft, not to say that it's dead or dying, but um, just the fact that every two years they have to put out a big expansion, right? Where mm-hmm. they release a whole bunch of new content and they've got hundreds and hundreds of people making this stuff, huge cutscenes, you know, whatever. Well, we've also um, talked about this with some of our own, our own designs and some little, you know, offsprout projects that we've wanted to make in the past is that there's a serious concern if you make a game that is purely co-op oriented that, that essentially the well will dry up. Because, yeah. for example, if you, and this, this is true for, for uh, competitive environments, too, but I feel like it, it would feel especially terrible if, for example, when you logged into Left 4 Dead and hit, like, you know, join game, join random game, if it was just you and three AIs fighting against zombies. Mm-hmm. Because it's not the point, right? And so it's the sort of problem where like, if they're successful, they're successful. It's a network effect. It's cool. It's big. If they're not successful, they die so thoroughly that it's not enjoyable for anybody to pick up the game anymore. Yeah. So it's a risky
1: well, yeah, the tails the, the
0: tails are way less stable. Yeah. in a co-op multiplayer game. So if you if you if Until you're financial, stable, right? Yeah, right. Unless, right. Yeah, right. So so if you're there's some hurdle there when it comes to financial viability. If if your studio is a studio where you can have a launch, develop a new game, and then launch again, and you're not dependent on a really really long maintained tail for your thing, then yeah, absolutely, the thing's going be. It's not a huge struggle to make that commercially viable because it's still launch dependent, just like almost any other kind of game. Um, if you really want to milk the tail out of a thing, no tail. A, you, probably need a, you probably need a competitive <laughs> game. Um, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Plus, in a compet. Well, okay. Here's another kind of final thought or question about this: Is what about the cost of managing the community of a competitive multiplayer game versus a co-op multiplayer? Well, game? most things don't have a cost because they simply don't. Oh, right. Just let it. Just, just let, let it run let wild. Let it decay and turn into horrible garbage. <laughs> Yeah, because I, I know, the strategy. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I think there's there's kind of a, there's an inherent problem no matter what with any game that lives for a long time uh, or almost any game, I should say, which is the more time people spend with a game, the more they fixate on the things about it that they don't like, mm-hmm. right? Because the things that they do like are just taken as a given. Well, I, I mean, it's, to- it's kind of like being in a relationship, you know? I mean, there's there's always the joke about how the thing you love about someone is going to be the thing at the end of the day that you're like, I hate you because I used to love you because of this particular Wait, co- hit me again with this. I've never <laughs> heard this joke. In no, my no, the, the idea is that the thing that you love about a person mm-hmm. can easily and does oftentimes become in a long-term stance the thing you actually don't like. Oh, about. so if so it's if you're like, Oh, this person is like so positive. Yeah, they're so positive. Then, they're so extroverted, and then later on you're like, God damn, like they just never think about take it down on The a notch. negative side or oh god, they're, they're so never happy. they're never sad. I hate it. I can't relate. <laughs> And it's it's funny, but it's true. And I think in, in games, it's the same thing. Right? As you get, when you, so for example, when, you, when I booted up, uh, I mean, just any of the games, actually, I played, now, I think but World of Warcraft for the first time. You're just so in awe of everything. You're like, wow. And like, yeah, and then when they go, I need you to take this jug of milk over like, to the next town. And you're, you're like, like I'm gonna there's take- the next town? <laughs> you're like, I'm going to take such good care of this jug. And you walk it over. <laughs> And you're like goodbye jug, and then and by then the time shed you've done a single this single tear for the milk jug, yeah, and you're like wow, these they have quests in this game. This is incredible. And then by the time you get to like the hundredth one, you're like I won't deliver this. someone's fucking like jug. Yeah. someone's like I need you to take this jug of water and you're like, over God. to that town. And you're like fuck you, I'm I'm not doing. This. How is there another <laughs> town? Yeah, so I think so the point is that the, the simple point there is that. The thing that you love about a thing over time can very easily degrade into the thing that you just find most annoying about it you know and we've had that with regards to crashlands people were like man I love the quests and then at some point I was just like I'm just tired of doing quests you know is there an option to just skip the reading part and just like yeah can I that's <laughs> just the way it is it's just how humans work you know? yep some things never hmm. is there a way <laughs> is there a way around it I don't know nope not on this podcast, no. we're done <laughs> <'Cause> it's over. We'll <laughs> <laughs> see you guys next week. Enjoy the juice. We'll let you patch. solve it. Yeah. Watch the trailer and then uh, tell all your friends about the podcast. Spread the word, spread the love around, and ask us some questions on podcast at bscotch.net. Apply for the 2D art position if you want at jobs at bscotch.net. Time's running out, and we'll see you next week. Uh, bye bye.